Hi, everybody. It's Roger here. Just wanted to give you a heads up that we have two separate episodes this week. So our Good and Bad and Ugly is part of the episode with James Fox, Future Sox. He's also the managing editor at Southside Hit Pen. And the episode with Jeff Ellis, who will be talking Indians, will be previewing the series. They'll be dropping tomorrow on Friday. So just wanted to clear up the Indian confusion. So enjoy two episodes this week of Tigers SRD as we take a deeper look at the AL Central a little bit. And it was the first episode that we've done in four years that Chris and I were in the same room, not including the live shows. We've done those twice for opening day, but it's a different change of pace. It's actually pretty cool. So sit back, relax, have a Fanta, and enjoy. And here in Detroit, where so many of the tools of victory were turned out, it's in the air. All Detroit wants another kind of victory. They're out to see the Detroit Tigers, their favorite ball team. Let's go inside. You're listening to Tigers SRD with your hosts and former Little League All-Stars, Chris Brown and Roger Castillo. Alongside me is Chris Brown. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartMedia, Stitcher, and Google Play. Follow us on Twitter at Tigers ML Report and the Facebook page Tigers Mind Report. And of course, you can follow us individually, RajCast81 and Chris Brown0914. Tonight, our guest is James Fox. He's a singer over at Future Sox and the manager of managing editor at Southside Hit Pen, which is a Sports Illustrated publication. James, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me. Awesome, and uh, yeah, congratulations. The White Sox took two out of three from the Tigers today, and Luis Roberts took a slider that had no spin and turned in almost into a grand slam, and it's a good game. It was a good win, serious win for the White Sox, and uh, before we get to all that, go ahead, Chris. Yeah. yeah. Hey, James, thanks for joining us. Yeah, we, we always like to ask our guests uh, about their earliest baseball memory. You know, I, I, it's always fun hearing how people become White Sox fans. Yeah, so, I mean, it's definitely Frank Thomas for me. Um, I'm I'm 34 years old, so... You know, nine, 90s kid. Um, I had I had family that were White Sox fans. There was a lot of Cub fans in my family too. So, you know, I guess as a kid, I, I probably watched both teams, which is you know a little bit weird around here, but some people do it. Um, but I, you know, I was a kid. I fell in love with Frank Thomas. I mean, I remember going going to the old stadium. I was probably like six, seven years old, seeing Frank Thomas play, um, and I, I, you know, I was pretty much hooked on the on the White Sox at at that time. Probably at a pretty early age, early nineties. Yeah, and that's when uh you know they changed the logo and uh me and all my friends in seventh grade decided to get White Sox hats because our favorite rappers were wearing them. So it was a pretty cool time to be a White Sox fan. Yeah, that was yeah, that was when they were they were like a, a cultural phenom, I guess. And now now people have you know, people forgot about them for a long time, but 
you know, you, you, you look at old nineties, nineties rap and R and B videos and there's white Sox hats on, on like ice cube and whoever else. So. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, the white Sox, they, they had a really nice run there in the mid two uh, thousands, obviously won the, the world series in 2005, but they were kind of, it seemed like the Tigers were always buttoned up against the white Sox and going down to the last few, uh, few weeks of the season. And then, you know, it was three, four years ago, they decided to, uh, tear it down and rebuild and you're finally starting to see the fruits of that and, and i was thinking today I, there's been some missteps obviously and I, I won't mention them by name but i can't think of a team that's rebuilt uh at least modern rebuild that that has gotten as much talent out of trades as the white Sox have yeah i mean i think that's fair i, I think the white Sox had more to trade than most teams that decide that they have to rebuild typically have to trade you know what i mean like so yeah. You know, some of it was due to the way the White Sox do business. They had Chris Sale. They had Jose Quintana. They had, you know, they had Abreu still at that point. They had Adam Eaton. They they had some really good players, but the bottom of their roster just wasn't very good, and their farm system wasn't very good either, and they have an owner that doesn't traditionally spend at the top of the free agent market. So, you know, every year you're trading the prospects that you do have for, you know, for Jeff Samarjas and for Todd Frazier's and you're trying to recreate what happened in 2005 and patch it together and win. And they did that for so long um, to the point where, you know, it kind of backfired on them. 2016, that was, that was, uh, you know, they, they traded Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, for James Shields and, you know, they didn't make the playoffs. They fell off. And, you know, Rick Hahn had a famous quote in mid season that you're saying they were mired in mediocrity and, it, you know, the, the rumors were finally, like, very strong that they were probably going to trade Chris Sale. And I, I was all for it. I mean, I love Chris Sale. It's tough to trade, like, the face of the franchise like that. But when you're when you're basically just, like, running in place, you know, like, on a hamster wheel, theoretically, you know, it's time. Like, sometimes it's it, it's just time. you got to get bad to get good again. And I think they're, you know, they're finally, you know, climbing out of that a little bit here in 2020. Yeah, I just you know, from we tend to look at through it at, at the the lens of the Tigers fans, uh, and the big difference seems to me that, like you said, the way that the White Sox do business, they had signed all those guys uh, to basically team friendly contracts. They were solid contracts, but compared to what the Tigers did, where they they sold Justin Verlander or traded him, they actually had to eat some of his salary, and they waited too long on uh, other players like JD Martinez and Nick Castellanos. So it's it's just uh, I'm sort of envious of the, you know, you got Giolito and Moncada and Kopech and Eloy and all those guys cease today. And it's, I, it's tough. And for, for myself, just as I've been to a couple of games in Chicago and seeing the, for, for a standpoint of, from a, his, from a Hispanic player standpoint throughout history, since the fifties, I mean, Chicago has done a really good job of just in terms of Cuban players as a, as a half Cuban myself, it's just, Hearing my dad go, you know, why can't we get Cuban players up here in Detroit? And, and it was always heading down to Chicago. It was uh, it was always fun hearing my dad just going, you know, oh, there's no one going to Chicago, geez. And so, um, but it's been it's been that way for a long time. And in terms of the takeaway so far in the White Sox season, and let's talk about some of those players that that have been able to. One of the takeaways I have so far is the play of Jose Abreu, who I, I think in the series just. Stretch Armstrong, I, I, you know, some of that bats he's had, he's always terrorized Detroit. But um, what other season takeaways so far you have on this, in the this team that's 
are they exceeding your expectations, or are they at where where you think they should be right now? Yeah, so I, you know, I think over 162, like in a normal season without expanded playoffs, I think it's probably a year early. Honestly, I, you know, I think the Twins are the best team in the division. Um, you know, Cleveland is you know has probably the best rotation in baseball. But, you know, they're probably going to sell, I think, at some point. Maybe they won't in this 60-game season, but I think over 162 they might. So, you know, I think the White Sox are a little bit – they're early. But with eight playoff teams, it kind of changes things a little bit. And this year's kind of been tough for me. Personally, it's been tough for a lot of White Sox fans because, like, they're still in this thing for the long term. Like, they care a lot about 2021 through 2026, right? But – with eight playoff teams, like you can't, you know, they should be one of the eight best teams in the American League right now. And I think they ultimately will be, but they're not always managing games, you know, like 2020 is the only season that matters. So it can be a little bit frustrating. Like they're 10 and nine right now. They've had a ton of injuries. So I think being 10 and nine um, is a good thing, but you know, it's, it's just tough to judge. Like I'm, I'm one of these guys who, I'm very patient. You know, I think over 162, you need to be, you shouldn't freak out over, you know, over little stuff, but man, when it's 60, it's kind of like a football season, right? So you, you, you find yourself getting antsy and you're criticizing Rick Renteria's lineups and stuff that probably doesn't matter that much, but it's magnified, you know, because of how the season, how short the season is. So um, you, you talked about Jose Abreu. So Jose Abreu, defensively this year he's been the best um that he's ever been defensively which is kind of surprising to me Jose Abreu is not the same player that he was he he's struggled against right-handers for probably a year and a half now but he really kills lefties which you know kind of surprised me that Detroit actually started Tyler Alexander and Matthew Boyd against the White Sox they haven't faced a left-handed starter from you know Cleveland doesn't have any and Detroit or and uh, Minnesota didn't pitch any either the White Sox have probably seven hitters in their lineup that destroy left-handed hitters. So if teams, you know, if teams can move their starting pitchers around, I wouldn't start lefties against the Sox very often. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I think that, you know, but Boyd, I mean, he's been awful so far this year, but he's kind of a fixture, so they would have started him no matter what. But that is interesting that they they chose Tyler Alexander, and it, you know, it backfired on him. They had the the Eloy homer, and who else hit a homer off him? Carnacion? Yeah, Carnacion hit a bomb. That was first yeah, that, that ball hasn't landed, I don't yeah, think. That was, yeah. that, was, that, was, <laughs> that was a shot, man. <laughs> when he, I'll tell you, like, so he's been hurt a little bit, but even, like, in summer camp and stuff, when he hits them, like, he doesn't hit cheap ones. They're, he hits bombs. In terms of even the rotation, too, before we get to the prospect question, you know, Dallas Keuchel had that speech to the guy saying, you know, give him that rah-rah speech that, hey, I, I've seen better effort. And they came out and they looked like a different approach, a different team. And I know this is a team that's very aggressive at the plate. They swing a lot of first first pitch uh, pitches. And But then, you know, you look at the rest of the rotation. Dylan Cease, I thought, pitched a really good game today. I thought he was hitting his spots. Fastball command looked really good. But you were talking about – you made a really good – parallel to football season in terms of how short it is, you know, the rotation, I know that with, with Michael uh, Kopchak sitting out the season, how big of a blow was that? Cause the, the, it looks like the depth on the rotation might is where it might cost the White Sox in the long run. 
Yeah, I think it was pretty big. I think at the time, you know, it's kind of like everybody's like, okay, made a personal decision. Nobody really criticized him. And it looked like you were probably, you know, six deep anyway. People felt good about Carlos Rodon coming back since it was, you know, with the July start, like he was back and ready to go. Well, now Carlos Rodon is hurt again. Renato Lopez is hurt. So, like, while I like Dylan Cease, Dylan C should not be the number three starter on a team with playoff aspirations. So he's kind of like rushed up to like the upper, you know, middle of this rotation. And that's just like too much to ask out of a guy right now. That's, that's had fastball command issues. And in, you know, I think today was his 17th big league start. And then they, you know, they have Gio Gonzalez on the back end. The starting pitching is definitely the weakness of the team. Um, I think Lopez is going to make his way back, but Lopez is, you know, he's shaky as well. He's not, he's not guaranteed a rotation spot here in the future by any means. They do have, uh, Dane Dunning was the, the third prospect that they acquired in the Adam Eaton trade. He, he had Tommy John probably 14 months ago. He, he's probably the next guy up. He should make, he may start, uh, Friday actually, but they haven't, they haven't announced that yet. So, you know, that's just another guy there. I think Kopech will be back for next year, but you're still young. So, but you're right about that. That's why I don't, I don't really see them winning the division. I think they have enough pitching to get that seventh or eighth seed and get their playoff feet wet, you know, a little bit, but it's, it's definitely the weakness on the team. And here in Dallas, Keiko was awesome. I mean, there, there haven't been expectations for the White Sox, you know, in years, probably since 2015. And, you know, we just haven't had veterans here that have done stuff like that. So so I feel like as fans and people that, you know, follow the team closely, we're not used to it. You know, I was kind of like, ooh, that's interesting. Like when I saw it the other night, and I thought it was a really good thing. Um, and I, you know, I kind of overrate some of that, that body language stuff, right? I mean, when you don't hit, like everything looks terrible. So I'm not, I'm not the guy that's like, oh, they're not trying out there. Like that's usually nonsense. But, you know, when a guy on the team says it, that that's when it kind of makes you raise an eyebrow a little bit. And, you know, apparently he got through. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I, you mentioned that uh, it's probably a year early, but I'm curious if you think it might be worth them uh, maybe trying to add a, a pitcher at some point this year as, uh, you know, in a trade. I mean, this is such a strange year that I don't know what kind of trades we're going to get. Or do you think it's better for them to just kind of let Cease get the seasoning and then try again next year when you've got Kopech and Cease and with another year? Yeah, so I definitely want them to add. Um, look, I don't. they're not going out and getting like an ace and trading Andrew Vaughn or something crazy like that. Nobody's suggesting that. But they have enough prospects to go get, you know, Kevin Gossman from, from the Giants or – you know, go to Texas. I know Rick Hahn, the general manager of the White Sox, and John Daniels they're of the Rangers, they're good buddies. They've made a lot of deals. You know, the Rangers might be out of this thing. Mike Miner or Lance Lynn, like something like that. Something that can, you know, right in the middle of your rotation, you won't have to give up a ton. Um, I, I think they should add. that. You know, there's a lot of stuff locally. Jerry Reinsdorf owns the White Sox and the Bulls, and I've mentioned him multiple times now. You know, he's he's already kind of put out in the media how much money he's losing this year. So there's already whispers that they're they're not really going to add very much. But um, you know, you you just you can't dip into that 60 player pool for four A starter type guys. You know, when you claim that you want to be one of these eight playoff teams. So you know, I, I don't think they want to do anything here like immediately. 
But as we get closer to that deadline, like I, I'm going to be upset if they don't at least do something. Matthew Boyd might be available. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So there, so there, there were actually jokes today. You know, some of our prominent White Sox bloggers were like, "Oh yeah, like you know, I make fun of Matthew Boyd today, but I know he'll be on the White Sox in a week from now." So you know, they were just kind of like kidding around. But I mean, like it's it, it's interesting too because Reinsdorf runs as a team like he did the Bulls in the nineties. I mean, when I watched the thirty for thirty, and they talked about talk about team friendly deals. I mean, Scottie Pippen was getting screwed over for so long, and Reinsdorf. There's one thing about Reinsdorf; he has no nonsense, and I can appreciate that. Uh, to a certain extent, to how he runs his franchise or both his franchises, but you look and you talk about some of the prospects. And speaking of which, you look at some of the top prospects that are they're not currently up right now in terms of for pitchers. You talk about Dunning, who did pitch in summer camp a little bit. What about the likes of? I mean, Cody Hewler, which I don't really know too much about. To be honest with you, he's in the bullpen right now. Oh, he's in the bullpen. Okay, all right. And in terms of even like guys like. In their excuse me, in camp rather, that could come up and maybe if they're gonna go within, is there anybody that's ready? But even beyond that, what are some under the radar prospects that for the for Tigers fans and White Sox fans alike that I mean, you probably discussed in your podcast, but for Tiger fans, what's a name that may not be a sexy name right now, but we may know about sooner or later. Yeah, so I think, honestly, like, I think if we would have talked, you know, before the season, I would have said that Cody Hoyer, he was a six-rounder in 2018, I believe. He just flew through the system. I didn't expect him to be in a big league bullpen this year, um, but he is. And, you know, they're not really pitching him at high leverage innings right now, but he, so he looks pretty good. Zach Birdie's finally made his way up. He pitched uh, yesterday, I believe. Yeah. Um, and he made his debut over the weekend. And, it, you know, it's been a long road for Zach Birdie. The White Sox took him in the first round in 2016. Um, and he's battled injuries, but he's back and he's throwing 99. I mean, those those are obviously guys on the relief side. I mentioned Dane Dunning. Jonathan Stever is a top 10 prospect in their system um, as a starter. He's in Schaumburg at the satellite camp right now. He, so he pitched in high A last year. I don't know if they would pitch him in the majors this year, but he's probably like, you know, the next guy up with the most upside. And then they have made a concerted effort to add younger pitching. So they took Garrett Crochet out of Tennessee with their first rounder this year. There was all this talk about how he's, you know, he's similar to Chris Sale and they could bring him up and pitch him out of the bullpen this year. I, I don't really think that's going to happen. I don't think they're going to do that. Um, and then they have, they have some high school guys too. They took Jared Kelly this year. They took, Matthew Thompson and Andrew Dahlquist last year, those guys are actually at their alternate site, I think, kind of just getting work in so that the, you know, the coaches and the instructors can see them. I don't think we'll see those guys um, at all this year. I think a lot of the young guys are up and the Sox brought up a lot of young bullpen guys that, you know, I, I think some people didn't really expect. Like Matt Foster has been pretty good out of the White Sox bullpen along with Hoyer. Jimmy Lambert made his way back. He was a starter that they put in the bullpen, and he's hurt again after a quick ramp up. So, you know, there there's some names down there. But, you know, this young bullpen is one of the surprises of the season, these guys being this good. Um you know, you saw today Evan Marshall and Jimmy Cordero were in there at the end. Some of that's because Aaron Bummer's out right now. I, I actually, I hope that they use Hoyer and Birdie some like in high leverage roles and shift those guys into those roles for the future. But again, that's, 
you know, that's like you're serving two masters, like we kind of talked about, right? Like, I want to see those young guys back there, but they're trying to win a baseball game every day, and maybe they don't want to do that. So um, I, I would say those are the names. The White Sox have been very position player heavy at the top of their prospect list over the past few years, but that's going to, you know, they're, they're, as they fall down the rankings here a little bit and their guys graduate, it's going to be mostly pitching up at the top. Yeah, and, and even in, that kind of leads into in terms of uh, before I wanted to get the other question I had in terms of the international market wise. There's the White Sox always seem to be ahead of a lot of. I, I would say probably on par with the Indians in terms of internationally speaking, just like finding gems in the international market. Chris, yeah, I mean, I, I I'm trying or, to or is it like Minnesota because Minnesota always cites some really good like guys underneath the radar a little bit. So. It, it seemed like the White Sox always were. Going for it with, right. with guys, particularly Cuban guys, but it wasn't necessarily always working out. I, you know, I'm right. remembering Diane Vicieto, uh, but you know, Alexi Ramirez was a good player for a while, and, and they, they seem to have had a, a solid uh, run of, of international players, certainly better than the Tigers have had. Yeah, so the thing with the White Sox is they have a Cuban pipeline for sure, you know, starting with Minnie Minoso way back a long time ago, and then. You know, and they've had uh, they've had El Duque here. They've had Jose Contreras during the 2005 championship run. They had Alexi Ramirez after that. The Viciedo thing didn't work. You know, it kind of started again lately when they signed Jose Abreu out of Cuba, and they were the winning bid for him. You know, and then after that, I mean, Moncada's a trade. Um, Luis Robert was a big signing, obviously. But, you know... I don't know, like on the international market in general, that's another area where I've, you know, I cover that market for future stocks and I've been pretty critical of the way they spend. They, their um, head of the international scouting is a guy by the name of Marco Patti. He's very good. You know, he, he's, he scouted Luis Robert. He's the one that signed Fernando Tatis Jr. And the one thing people don't really know about Fernando Tatis Jr. He was a $700,000 signing out of the Dominican. He was the 29th ranked prospect in that international class. And, you know, while it was a terrible trade and it should have never happened, nobody knew who Fernando Tatis Jr. was at that time. He didn't even, like, play in games for the White Sox. Now, the White Sox should have known, but, it, you know, it's not like they traded a top prospect at the time. My issue, you know, with, with Jerry Reinsdorf is that he doesn't really play in that marketplace. He doesn't sign 16-year-olds, um, you know, I think their their biggest deal is still Mike Rodolfo, who's one of their prospects for one and a half million dollars. I mean, you have teams regularly like the Rays. I mean, you, the Tigers have even done it lately where you're signing guys for three, four million dollars in the international market. And those guys go right on your top prospect list. I mean, they take a while, but you're paying for the upside. Like that's nothing. The Rays, the, the Tampa Bay Rays can't spend money on free agents, but they can definitely give a Wander Franco $5 million, right? And then you can get seven years out of that guy. So that's one area where the White Sox don't really play with, like, the big market teams. Now, they've gotten, you know, they've signed guys. Like, they won the bidding on, on Luis Robert. They've traded for a bunch of guys like Eloy Jimenez. You know, they signed Tatis, obviously. They signed a Cuban pitcher this year named Norge Vera. That be so they're good on the Cuban pipeline. But the one thing they don't do is they don't add these like high impact 16 year olds like some of these teams do every year. It seems like they're just not that that's just like not really a strategy of theirs. And it's it's very puzzling because, you know, everybody you talk to says Marco Patti is like one of the best in the business. So, that you know, I don't know if it's because 
the market's kind of gross. I don't know how closely you guys follow it, but yeah. you know, some of these kids are signing at 13 years old and yeah. you know, and they're just like off in, uh, you know, in the Dominican with their trainers and whatever. And they have deals set, you know, for two years from now. And you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's weird, but that's the marketplace. And you know, we have heard that Jerry doesn't really, he doesn't really like that. That's, you know, the way that you have to do business, but if that's the way you have to do business, you're falling behind all the other teams. So, you know, they, they've been okay. When you sign a Luis Robert, it's tough to criticize their international like progress as a whole. But when you dig a little bit deeper, they kind of leave a little bit to be desired, honestly. I, and I say that from the standpoint of a Tigers fan, because if you look for the, for, for the last 25 or 30 years, the Tigers have kind of, been a little bit behind, and they're now just kind of playing now with the they're signing the younger guys. I mean, Omar Infante, Ramon Santiago, Fernando Rodney, Emilio uh, Suarez, but of course they trade him for a bag of pasta essentially. But they're the Tigers from a standpoint from comparing Chicago to Detroit on an international side. I think there's a big gap where Detroit's finally kind of catching up to the, in the game wise. But I've always been, I've always kind of looked with kind of a nod of respect that the White Sox were able to get guys that Detroit could have possibly had, had they, I don't know, even, you were to say Chris, not even budget-wise, but just had the eye for it, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, we've always wanted them to go after the the Cuban players, and I think they actually did get close to getting Cespedes, uh, Ioannis Cespedes, uh, and they eventually got him, but... uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I remember wanting them to go after Rosny Castillo, and uh, you know, yeah, that didn't work out yeah, too well. But yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just uh, it's interesting. We always, you know, focus so much on one team, we kind of uh, forget, you know, how uh, we, we just aren't as critical of other teams. We just see, yeah, we just it, see the good it, stuff and maybe not the bad. Yeah. Well, it is it is weird, right? Because like you know, I could talk to a lot of my White Sox guys, and we would just be absolutely friggin' jealous of. You know, when when you when Mike Illich was alive, because, you know, that's the type of stuff that Reinsdorf doesn't do. And it's gluttonous. Right. And you guys have seen it. You've seen it pay off. But you're also, you know, you're you're seeing the, you know, the ghost of Miguel Cabrera right now, too. Right. And so it happened. But those like three hundred million dollar contracts, that's something the White Sox don't do. And it's something that fans like you get really excited about. You know, like you go out and you sign Justin Upton or you sign Prince Fielder. And obviously, like, you know, when you have Dave Dombrowski, that that's what Dave Dombrowski kind of does. Right. And the Tigers are kind of breaking away from from some of that, I think, under under Illich's son. But that that part's kind of puzzling that they they were never really, you know, big behemoths in the international market when they were always the team lurking, you know, in free agency. They, they would just come with this $220 million offer and they'd get the player and nobody would expect it, right? Like Prince Fielder, they did it with Upton, they did it with a couple other guys, but they really didn't spend internationally. It, it is kind of kind of short-sighted because they, they could have like ruled that market if they wanted to as well. That's a good, that's a good point. Even for the likes of, I think of some of those White Sox teams with Kenny Williams, and I know Ken, Ken Williams was basically the correct man for wrong, kind of like the the mouthpiece for Reinsdorf. But I thought Kenny, I thought Ken Williams did a really good job of getting some players that were in terms of keeping that going in the early two thousands that lead to that World Series team. And in terms of uh, kind of referencing our next question about other speaking other teams that have impressed you um, so far this season or in the last couple of seasons in terms of their minor league growth, what 
besides the White Sox, what other teams that have kind of go, oh, wow, well, man, that's – it could be anywhere, NL, AL. What other teams have impressed you? Yeah, so, I mean, the Rays have the best system in baseball, but, you know, they kind of have to. So they're, like, really good at it. Um, you know, I know people don't don't like A.J. Preller in San Diego because he does some shady stuff, but that's a really good system. The, the job that I'm pretty impressed with right now is is Seattle. Like, Seattle, you know, they kind of did um, – they go out and they get Jared Kalanick for, for Robinson Cano. And, you know, here in White Sox land, like, we talk about the Fernando Tatis trade or we try not to talk about the Fernando Tatis trade because it's terrible – but, I mean, the Mets did the same thing, and people know who Jared Kalanick is. Like, they traded Jared Kalanick for Robinson Cano, and it didn't make any sense. So, you know, the Mariners have a top-five system in baseball right now. they got a couple other outfielders they've drafted well. You know, I like, I like Detroit's system quite a bit. Now, it's obviously super pitching-heavy, and pitchers break, right? So you never know, like, as good as those guys are – are all four of them ever going to be healthy in the same rotation? I, I don't know. I, I hope not, selfishly. But, you know, they're building up the position player side. They were very um, position player heavy in the draft this year, and I think that was necessary because you guys can answer this better than me. I I don't know. Like, do you think they're going to spend in free agency like they used to? I mean, is that is that where the bats are coming from? If Casey Mize and Tariq Skubal and Manning and those guys are in the rotation and you and you need three or four position players? I'm highly skeptical that they will ever spend the way they used to. I think we've kind of been hinting at and thinking for a while now that they're might be sold. There's they're getting so lean, you know, the the payroll is so low, it's almost like you're you're eliminating assets to try to make it an attractive buy. Um who knows? I mean, we haven't seen any sign yet that uh, Mike Illich's son, Chris is going to be nearly as, uh, you know, free spending. Uh, we, we all cross our fingers uh, if he remains the owner, but I'm skeptical. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty skeptical. How do you, yeah. So, it's, I mean, it's obviously like, you know, you guys, it's your podcast, but my, I guess my question, do you, are you guys happy with like having eight or nine wins right now? Or are you, because I feel like as a, for me as a Tigers fan, like my goal would be to like have the number one pick next year, personally. Yes. But that's just like kind of how I watch sports. Like with the White Sox, like if you're trying to be bad, be bad. Like there's absolutely no reason for you to be in a rebuild, you know, trying to finish yeah. in third in a division so that fans can watch a win on a on a meaningless Tuesday. I mean, it, you know, and and it, it's worth it at the end. Trust me. Like when you're when you're horrible and you get good, that that's that's what that's the part that's awesome. Shortcuts don't work, and obviously in a sixty game season anything can happen. So, right, like a team like Detroit could go 500 somehow. I just, like, don't feel like that's what's best for that franchise right now. That's a good – you know – I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, that's – you know, I like when people – first of all, I like questions. We can – we're baseball nerds, and we can talk all day long about this. And, it, James, it is kind of – I originally – I said the Tigers were going to win 25 games. They are going to go 25 and 35, be competitive, enough to tease us, and then kind of go away. Um, because of the improvement on the left side of the infield. I'm with Chris, though. I, I'm skeptical of Chris Illich in a sense of long-term what he has in mind for this ball club because everything, it's really weird. Like, in terms of even from a standpoint, like Twilight Zone, weird in the sense that there's no, you see him at the game the other day with binoculars and a hat, and it's just like, it's, it just looks strange. And it's not the same as when his father was the owner, but 
in terms of like you know rocking for Pumar or whatever the new hashtag is with that, I think personally, I mean tanking and the whole idea of tanking for a pitcher like Pumar is nice, but I think the Tigers really, I, I think it would be kind of pointless because the Tigers really have depth at for the minor league system for once in pitching. I think they really need to evaluate, like the White Sox, for example, you know, they have the a really good outfield. They have Mankata playing third, although, you know, some of the throws he's had in the series, but position-wise, the Tigers still lack a lot of pitch, like in terms of position players that are guys that can hit the ball, mash the ball, they 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 still have ways to go, and I I cringe on the player development because Chris Kristen kind of really helped debate about Nick Castellanos for example since he's left Detroit his numbers have gotten better and they've gotten really good so to me when I see some fundamental changes on player development and I've seen it so far the the numbers have indicated whatever Joe Barva is doing with the with the batting is is working but at least James in the standpoint of from a Chicago standpoint. I, I think that I, I am you guys because you guys at least have positional players that are just like some studs. And I rather have some of those in the mix because the Tigers outfield depth in the minor league system is not good. And infield wise, it's even worse. I mean, this draft this year's helped it out, but no one knows what the likes of Brian Packer, Andre Lipkis, and, you know, Parker Meadows, some of the lower level guys, what they're entail because they lose a year of development. So, I, I I like the emphasis on what Dan bringing Dan Hubs in the the pitching um what's his exact title He's the head of pitching development I think yeah uh, they're thinking more analytically which is a progress but at the same time ownership I I just feel a little shaky about it no and I I'll say this you know I've gone like the last three plus years ever since they traded Verlander I've basically been rooting for the Tigers to lose in every game which feels gross yeah man it sucks but yeah no I'm I'm with you but. <laughs> What we're getting to now is there are a couple young guys that I really want to see succeed basically every time. We got Spencer Turnbull could be a, a piece of the future. Jacoby Jones has seemed to really turn his career around. Looks like a viable outfielder now. Uh, and so it's it's like this kind of thing where I'm sort of hoping that they that the players that are young and, and interesting do well and the team loses. But if they're going to keep winning, I'm finding myself getting more invested in wanting them to win now. And this is a year where I don't necessarily think they need to have the top pick. You know, Rocker and Lighter look pretty good, and Jaden Hiller, all these other guys. But it would be nice to, to be in the top 10 of the draft again and maybe get another solid, you know, college bat. I, I don't know if uh, – what's his name? Uh, the, the outfielder from Florida. I'm, I'm blanking right now, but uh, he might be a nice add. There's some other players. But, yeah, it right now it's kind of fun to watch them go out there and compete. But if they start losing, then I'm going to go back to rooting for them to lose. Yeah, I get it. It's a tough existence. I mean, for years we were, you know, I'd want Moncada to hit two homers in a game and then their their bad bullpen that wasn't going to be around to blow the game and lose. You know, that was like when there, there's nothing worse than when you have a rebuilding team and you have, you know, like Jonathan Scope winning baseball team, winning baseball games for you. And, you know, it's not even just Scope. The White Sox had guys too, you know, they'd have just some veteran that's on the team just because that won't be here in the future. You know, like Melky Cabrera wins a game for them when they're, you know, they're trying to lose, you know, and, you know, you get fans that are always going to be excited about that because fans are fans and that's fine. And yeah, I, I just like take a more long-term view. Like what, what is the, like, I, I think organizations owe you, they should always be doing 
you know, what they can to win a World Series, right? But that doesn't have to be the 2020 World Series. They, they have to, you know, try to put themselves in position to win them in the future. And, you know, sometimes winning 63 games is better than winning 75 games. Yeah, and the goal for everyone is to basically become the Dodgers, where you're winning 9,500 games and you have an awesome farm system, but uh, we can't all be L.A. Yeah. It's, uh... Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing. I know, like, I think I read Baseball America's rankings today, and it's like, you know, the Rays are one, they're, they're perennially one, you know, because that's kind of the way they do business, like we talked about. Seattle is is up there now because they've, they've sucked and they've, you know, have done this. Detroit's up there. And then the Dodgers, too. Because because why not? Because they have because they have to be because they have they have five top 100 guys and then they have five more that'll be top 100 guys next year that we don't even like know about right now that are already in their system somewhere. Yeah, I mean they they that fifth that 25th round pick out of Central Michigan who just, oh, yeah Zach McKinstry or yeah. something like yeah they, no they we we were looking at their 2016 draft and they've got like a dozen dudes from that one draft who have made the majors already. Yeah. It's, you know, it's something we deal with at future socks, right? Like drafting and developing are two completely different animals. And, you know, your scouting director can make picks that look like the right picks and then they don't develop in your development system. And then the scouting director and the GM get blamed for making bad picks. When in reality, like the picks were fine. The guys didn't develop for other reasons. So you know, you can go back and forth on some of that stuff. But the Dodgers, it's just a it's a it's a scouting and development machine, and they can spend as much money as they want to. So, you know, it's a little bit unfair, but they, they haven't won a title, you know, either lately. So Yeah, it's been it's been thirty odd years or so. But no, it's yeah. but for the white for you know, the last thought before we let you go, Jeff, I mean James, it's just in terms of um the biggest thing I, I've my biggest takeaway about Chicago going forward, though, is that it. I Me, mean, here's a question for you: though. If they are one player away at the trade deadline, does Reindorf pull off that move? Because if I think about, I was trying to think about the '06, the the team that won in '05, rather. What was was there a defining trade? I'm trying to think right now. It's been a, it's been a while because I, I first of all I love Ozzy Gian. I think Ozzy. I know a lot of people don't like Ozzy Gian, but I think he's what he said about Nick Swisher recently was one of the funniest things I've seen in a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Nick Swisher was not a favorite here. Oh, no, because, I mean, bro, Ohio, I like, there was a game where he was with the Indians. I got to tell this really quick story. So he's played a game in, in Cleveland against the Rangers, and I went with my two buddies, and my big one of my buddies is a big uh, Jim Tomei, and they were doing the statue uh, retirement. And he comes up to bat, Nick Swisher, and my, my, my buddy Dave goes, boo, just boo. And this Indian fan behind, in front of us, just gives us a stare, looks at us, and we just, and he, and then my buddy Dave goes right in the face, goes boo. So then the second at bat does the same thing. Guy turns around, tries to like act like he's gonna start a fight, and his his girlfriend goes, "That's not worth it." And he went over three with like two strikeouts or something like that. But anyway, um, but I was thinking about that 2005 team. There wasn't was there a trade or anything that they, they allow that like just to put them over because I don't I'm looking here I don't see I don't remember no so they so they picked up Jeff Blum who you know is just like a typical utility guy and he hit a big homer um, in Game Three of the World Series when they went to like 14 innings that night but they didn't make it so they were rumored to be going after like Griffey I think that year and then they got him like three years later um, the thing they did the following year. So they won the World Series in 05, 
And then the, the following off season, they traded for Jim Tomey and they traded for Javier Vasquez. Um, so then there, I don't know if you remember, I mean, you, you know, you, you probably do because the Tigers were really freaking good. I mean, the Sox, the Sox won 90 games in 06. They just kind of, their pitching tanked down the, down the, the stretch and they, they missed out on the playoffs because Detroit and Minnesota both made it. So, you know, that was the first half of 06 was probably, you know, the, the best the White Sox have looked, I guess, probably like in a 20 year period that that team was better than the 05 team was, but they just, you know, they just Mark Burley and Jose Contreras and some of those guys, they were just dead and they pitched terrible in the second half. Yeah. That second half team, they were, yeah, they, they went 33 and 41. Yeah. And they, they, yeah. It was just, they were overcome, but so anything like, I know um, we usually leave this last part, anything you want to pimp. I know you have a podcast and you, you the website looks beautiful by the way. Gorgeous gorgeous layout on the site it's really easy to read and there's a there's a podcast available tell people what's up coming up next and, and where people can find your podcast well thanks yeah i mean it's, so it's kind of a new normal for us over at future socks and you know we've been busy obviously the last four years kind of trying to provide fans with info on all these players we cover the minor leagues we cover the draft pretty extensively the international market that type stuff but without minor league baseball it, it kind of you know, really hurts what we do. So, you know, we've been we've been writing articles on Luis Robert and some of the relievers that have come up. There are a lot of guys with prospect status still on the White Sox. So we're trying to focus there. We do, you know, usually one podcast a week. We had some really good podcast guests like while baseball was shut down. Me and my co-host Mike Rankin, he he's our editor um over at Future Sox. He he does a great job. So, you know, it it's if you want info on White Sox prospects, it's futuresox.com. Follow us on Twitter. But, uh, you know, it's 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 just a different time kind of for what we do. We're trying to feel out this process, and we're hoping for some sort of fall prospect league, you know, and that would be, that would be good because there's a lot of guys that, you know, we could talk about that just aren't really playing right now. Yeah, we're in the same boat with the Tiger Mind Report. We started the site last year. In the middle of the year, we're all geared up, ready to go. We're at all assignments. We're, we've got our games picked out, and for not. So we're yeah, we're in the same boat. It's 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 frustrating, but uh, I was just curious. Are are the White Sox basically the same? The Tigers? Do we, we the media has no access to Toledo right now to their uh, you know. Uh, yeah. So we, so the, so they're in Schaumburg, Illinois, which is you know northern northern burbs. So they did open it for us one day, um, and I got credentialed and went out there. It was kind of cool. They're playing in an independent league stadium. Um, Chris Getz is the farm director. He he talked that day. Garrett Crochet was there through a side session we all saw. Um, Nick Madrigal was still there at the time. Andrew Vaughn's over there. So that was like kind of one day they gave us like five hours of access, kind of gave you a glimpse of like what they were doing. But other than that, there's no media there. So which which is kind of stupid, honestly, because like what you, what you guys do right now, like you could provide a service for them. Like I feel like at Future Sox, we've provided a service. Obviously, we don't we don't work for the team. We're critical when we need to be. But I mean, look, we're, we're putting stuff out there with with these kids and especially, you know, for Tigers fans right now. There's probably a whole big segment of the fan base that's much more interested in the prospects than, oh, you know, absolutely. Nico Goodrum and some of the stuff that's going on in the majors. So, you know, I don't, I don't know how closely your beat follows the prospects, but, you know, it's it's like fans are smarter nowadays. And with the Internet, there's info out there everywhere. So, you know, I kind of feel like 
there, there's no secrets happening at these places. So, you know, letting, not necessarily letting fans in, but letting the media cover, you know, kind of, kind of seems like a no brainer for some of these teams, especially the bad teams. Yeah. I mean, I think fans would be happy just with box scores, but we, we get nothing, unfortunately. And we, yeah. You well, there's not, to... there's not really enough of them to play games. I mean, they, they do like live BP, but especially like, you know, with Detroit, I'm assuming like all your, all your pitchers are there. Right. So yeah. there, there's some, there's some talent at your, at your alternate site. Yeah. And, and it's James, it's frustrating. We'll leave you with this. We, that there's only certain selective media people that can go down there and they've been, the Tigers PR people have been, they've been cool and they let us know like, Hey, this is not going to happen, but at least you guys got five hours. We've gotten nothing, like literally nothing. And so it's, I mean, outside of me looking for, you know, Cody Clements, how he's doing the Constellation Energy League. Uh, yeah. It's been, slim, it's been slim pickings, but you're right. We do provide a service. We're not paid by the team. We have our top 50 prospect list that you can find at our, our, our website. But a lot of a lot of fans, a lot of families also follow us, too. We have, the, we have, a, we have a really good job with some of the parents who follow us along. And it is, it is a little frustrating. I understand, again, protocol for COVID aside, it, it, it is a little admittedly maddening because it's like crap, man. Like we just want to, all we want to do is if we have five hour, if we had that five hour window, we'd be set for content for three months. So. But, yeah, no, I, I hear you. <laughs> yeah. But uh, James, yeah. Thanks so much. You can go to futuresocks.com, find all the great content. And again, this really fantastic layout. I, I'm a, I, I do web design for day for one of my job responsibilities. So I always appreciate that kind of thing. And, Check out the podcast, and yeah, they had Andrew Vaughn. They had some really big name guests on there, and I always can appreciate Chicago as a sports town because not only do they they know their stuff and they're passionate. I mean, I've, every White Sox game I've been to, I've seen people wear the full wool outfit from back in the day. I've seen it three times. I'm not kidding. Like it's on the outfield section. I've seen some people wearing the full garb, and they really get into it. So, James, thanks again, and hopefully we'll talk soon. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys. Welcome back to Tigers SRD on the Tiger Mind Report Network. So, quickly, we'll go through our inside the numbers and the good and bad and ugly this week. So, again, thanks to Jeff uh, Jeff Ellis from Blackdown Indians and James Fox, who over from Future Sox. I have a feeling that we'll have James on again. He was really good. He Casey Bogosaw, who was on with a friend of the show, Mark Garash, with Don't Call a Rebuild. You can check out that podcast as well. Um, Casey is usually their White Sox guy, but James was really did a really good job. So without further ado, let's go to the inside of numbers and Dylan Bundy. We saw one, you know, Chris, I, I the number for inside the numbers this week, and I know that sometimes we tend to, I, I sometimes get narrowly focused on a division or, you know, the Tigers, but the number I'm going to go with is 157. And that is the ERA of Dylan Bundy, who's off to a quote unquote sleeper Cy Young season. He's got his caper per nine of 11, 11 right now, which is a really small sample size, of course, but is two above his career high. And what does he do? I mean, the Angels are not pitcher, not like uh, pitcher whispers or anything. What is going on in LA? I he seems to have completely reinvented, reinvented himself. You know, he was a guy. He came up. I think he was nineteen. 
when he first made the majors, he was really young. You know, he was in that that was a 2011 draft that was just loaded, and he was, I think, the first high school pitcher off the board. Maybe, maybe I'm mistaken, but he was one of the top pitchers. And then he got hurt, and you know, supposedly the Orioles didn't want him throwing his cutter or took his cutter away or whatever. And he just never worked out in Baltimore. He's been one of the worst uh, pitchers in baseball. But yeah, I mean, he's basically throwing 90 miles an hour now, but he's hardly throwing any fastballs at all. He's really, uh, you know, mixed up his pitches. And so far, so good. I mean, we have to see if it lasts the rest of the year, but it's really impressive. And uh, yeah, and the Angels really kind of struggled there. Yeah, the rotation's been horrible. The three walks of 28 innings. Yeah, I mean, he was always he was always super talented. I mean, he's he's not like overly big, but he was just a kid that man, he had really good stuff and he could pitch. But the stuff has kind of changed. I think now it's uh, breaking balls that are you're really working for him and changeups and stuff. But he knows how to pitch and it's working. Yeah, he's got big points, big points stash thing going. He looks like a kind of like a serial killer kind of. Well, I mean, I think you could probably set about ninety percent of baseball players. Yeah, with the stash right now. What's your incentive number this week? Uh, mine is forty six point seven, uh, and that uh, you know we saw a tweet earlier this week. I don't know who originated it, but the Tigers caught onto it and they, they posted it that the Tigers uh, have uh, you know far and away at that point had the highest hard hit rate of any team in baseball, and then the Tigers tweeted out that th- that and they had the longest or farthest average distance on fly balls this year. And part of that may be just the, the early home run explosion, but yeah, I mean that's that's. Without a doubt, those are good uh, numbers, but the 46.7 is their ground ball percentage, uh, <laughs> which is fourth most in the majors. So, yeah, they're doing great when they hit the ball in the air, but they're still hitting the ball on the ground too often. That uh, They're also 28th in line drive percentage, according to fan graphs. Uh, you know, I don't know if that matters if they're hitting the ball hard, but um, the average ground ball rate is about 42% for hitters, and the Tigers only have four guys currently under that. Uh, it's Nico Goodrum. C.J. Crone, Travis Demerit, and, and Kristen Stewart, and then they have you know Grayson Griner, Dawal Lugo, Harold Castro, Cameron Maybin, and Jonathan Scope all above fifty percent ground balls right now, and Romine. So it's you know they're they're getting better. They're doing some some things right, but still hitting the ball on the ground too much. And, and that's not even just to you know, mention Victor Reyes, who is kind of the king of the soft contact ground ball. So yeah, soft serve. I don't want to, yeah, that sounds mean, but. That's not my. That's not. It should be our intention to be that. But uh, so moving on to the good and bad of it this week is going to be a quick. They don't. Uh, of course, music's going to be. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So the good and bad of it this week is. I'll let you kick that off, Chris. Um, for what's your good and bad of it this week? So I got kind of. I, I don't know if I've ever done this before, but my good is Jacoby Jones, and we've seen a lot of different good things about him. But I wanted to point out that. So far this year, he's averaging 4.38 pitches per plate appearance, which is 10th best in baseball. Uh, and that is after last year, he was at 3.93. So he's up, you know, almost half a pitch per plate appearance. And that doesn't sound like a big deal. But over the course of like a 600 plate appearance season, that's 270 more pitches he's seeing. Wow. And so that basically what you're saying is, is you're giving yourself, he's seeing the ball better. I mean, we don't know exactly what to take of that, but he's seen the ball better, and that means he's you know, got a chance to get himself into better counts and hit fastballs, which is what he does. He's still not a great you know, secondary pitch hitter, uh, or take more walks. And those are good signs, I think. Uh, again, we're still kind of cautiously optimistic about Jacoby Jones around here because we've seen this sort of thing before. But, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's 
improved in a lot of ways. But my bad is also Jacoby Jones. <laughs> and this is, again, we're talking about a small sample size here, but uh, over at uh, Baseball Savant, you can see sprint speed. And they haven't, like, it, it's a little bit harder to search for 2020 right now. You can actually, if you search for 2019 and then put 2020 in the search bar, you can see it. Or you can just go to Jacoby Jones's player page and see it. But this year, his sprint speed is 26.5 feet per second. And traditionally, yeah, 27 feet per second has been average. So he's now in a below average runner. This is after uh, being 28.3 last year and 29.1 the year before. So he's lost almost three feet per second in the last three seasons. Uh, he still looks pretty fast to me. So I don't know if this is just a small sample size thing or it could be uh, the, the transition to the Hawkeye tracking technology. And, and we may find that average is no longer 27. It's more like 26 or something like that. But he, he apparently has lost a step or two. And that's kind of a bummer. And it's nice that he's hitting for more power, but we kind of liked him to be a power speed guy. Oh, dear God. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, we're recording right now. We're not sure. She's been farting all day, and it is awful. This is brutal. It's oh, cute. My ugly is my dog's farts. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. Oh, hi. Yeah, we're recording. We don't have, uh, I have two microphones, but I don't have two microphone hookups. So. But uh, anyway, yeah, so my, my actual ugly is uh, our old buddy, Mike Fires. Uh, he's, he's pitching with the A's, and so far things not not so great. He's uh, in 19.2 uh, innings, he's given up 25 hits and six home runs, and he has just seven strikeouts to five walks. So that's a, a 3.2 strikeout per nine, a 2.3 walk per nine, and a 2.8 home run per nine. Oh. And it's, it's never good when your home run per nine is basically the same as your strikeout per nine. You remember that was kind of our concern when the Tigers signed Fires a couple of years ago. That like this guy just gives up tons of homers. So he's been especially bit by the the long ball so far this year. And I don't know. I mean, the ERA is what seven six something right now. Seven FIP. He's worth negative zero point three WAR. Maybe he'll turn it around. He, you know, he's been on the pitching for a long time, but it's it's ugly right now. So my good and bad ugly this week is kind of themed. Well, the ugly is a little different, but. In terms of NL West flavor to it, the good is Sterling Marte. For a team, for like the for we saw Pittsburgh over the weekend, and Pittsburgh made a puzzling trade, but I know why, probably for financial reasons. But Sterling Marte has been good. He's been 350, bat fit of 417. Doesn't have like a lot of home runs, just has the one home run. But he's got a wave runs across of 158. And it's probably the reason why Arizona has not totally crapped the bed. So in terms of from an offensive standpoint. My bad this week is still that we still stick with Arizona, and it, and it has been. I was looking at some of his numbers in terms of even from a standpoint of overall, like just Arizona's their, their starting staff is something that honestly, Chris, I I expect a little more, I expect a little better, but it has not been the case. That would be well, one Madison Bumgarner, Bumgarner is also a horrible start, Chris. Yeah, and, and they think they said his, his fastball velocity is down like three or four miles per hour this year. It's yeah. like it's ugly. Yeah, his ex-FIP is 6.97. His FIP is 8.69. And it's just, it looks like the end, I don't want to say the end, but it's, it, it, that, that sounds a little extreme, but 
you look at the rest of the staff, which has a pretty good K for nine, but his is not even close. Yeah, no, he's not. He's it was somebody was pointing out like I didn't expect him to turn to Jason Vargas yet. And <laughs> that's the thing. Like you would hope a guy like that could uh, could get it back, but he also has always seemed like a guy who could just step away immediately and go on to his rodeo career or whatever. Uh, yeah. He just you know that long arm swing uh, mechanics never seemed ideal. And but I do also remember you know. 10, 12 years ago when he was uh, one of the top pitching prospects in the minors. And then then he lost a bunch of velocity and like everybody was like, oh, I don't know what's going on. And then he got it back and he was fine and had a great run in the pros. But yeah, you don't want to shovel dirt on his grave just yet, but it's not looking good. That's no. for sure. No. And what's not looking good is the minor league baseball negotiations right now. And I feel like this is the second time I mentioned in the last month or so, but uh, yesterday, around August 11th, they, the third negotiation team to represent the MLB in the last 10 days. And that's not good. And they this just came after eight days after the MLB, or the president and CEO of minor league baseball, Pat O'Connor, disbanded the league's negotiation with it and replaced it with a group. So I'm not sure what's going on with minor league baseball right now, but that's looking ugly, and it's still not going to come anything to resolve soon enough so all right chris let's quickly go through the questions for the week uh yeah so we've got uh yeah we got a handful of questions it was nice we had uh our buddy matthew cleeter at least that's his, his twitter name i believe is uh from england or the united kingdom at least uh, he said evening chaps i was going to ask the latter of these yesterday but i didn't so i'll ask them both now are turnbull and soto the real deal thanks um now you want to handle that or yeah um I think Soto and Turnbull are the real deal. I think that they represent, so far, a philosophy change for the time. I mean, Soto is an example of a windup change, working on his mechanics, and it shows a result. Turnbull lost a little bit of weight, worked on his, and he was talking about that, too, in terms of what he was doing physically. Um, yeah, I think he, I think it represents something good for the Tigers in terms of development-wise. Yeah, and I think one they keep talking about the mentality of Turnbull. You know, he, he seems to have, you know, I don't know, gotten more confident or something along those lines. But you know, I do think that they're they're real. I don't think they're real as in, like, Turnbull's going to have a two-ERA all year and Soto's not going to give up a run all year. They're going to get touched up at some point. We touched on this before, that, that both of them have had a history of control issues. And I could see that coming back to bite either one of them in an outing and, and really having a, a blow-up. But, yeah, I mean, this stuff – is legitimate with both those guys. Soto looks like one of the, the best left-handed relievers in baseball right now, and it's certainly a welcome development. The The hardest thing in baseball is to stay consistent, though. That's just the way it goes. You know, There's lots of ebbs and flows. Uh, hitters are going to adjust to what Turnbull and Soto are doing, and so we have to see if they can make the adjustments back. But but right now, I'd say that they're the real deal. We'll, we'll ask again in a month or so. Um our next question, this was not a real question, but I'm answering it anyway. Youper asked, how much would Victor Reyes improve each of the other teams in the division? <laughs> but you know what? I went through, uh, and it's worth a look. And after, you know, I think Reyes went over today, but he did steal a base and score a run. So he's going to have about an average weighted runs created plus, like a 99 or so. But he's still worth 0.3, 0.4 war to fan graphs. Uh, and how does that compare to other teams? Well, he wouldn't make the starting three in, in – uh, in Minnesota, you know, Buxton just hit two more home runs tonight. He's got five in the year already. Uh, Rosario has been hitting well. Max Kepler's uh, really good. But 
He would be better than their fourth outfielder, Jake Cave, so he'd be a solid fourth outfielder for them. You move to Chicago, and he'd be, by war, he'd be the third best outfielder on the White Sox, uh, behind uh, Robert and Adam Engel, believe it or not. I mean, this is we're early in the season, more, you know, it, it fluctuates. But he's actually got a higher war than Eloy Jimenez right now, even though I think Eloy went deep again today because uh, he's such a bad defender. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it would be funny. He'd be the third best outfielder on there. Uh, same with the Royals. He'd be the third best outfielder in the Royals behind Merrifield and Jorge Soler. He's been better than Alex Gordon so far. Um, and, uh, we, you know, we talked to Jeff about the outfield. He would be the best outfielder on the, the Cleveland by a pretty wide margin. <laughs> there, there are three other outfielders right now that – I think is that Luplo, uh, Zimmer, and DeShields are all at point one war. So, yeah. So, yeah, Victor Reyes would be leaps and bounds <laughs> above the rest of Cleveland's outfield right now. Obviously, yeah, who knows over the course of the year. But anyway, uh, I thought it would be fun to answer that. Um, then our questions, we got Nick Holler. How would you fix the season to make the playoffs? I would fix the rotation. The there's Matt Boyd says he's fine physically. But outside of Turnbull, it's pretty much a you're rolling the dice. I mean, the bullpen has done a really good job of stepping up, but I would fix the rotation. If you're gonna if you're gonna make a playoff push, it's not. And don't tell me that Casey Myers is gonna be the answer because he doesn't have enough experience. If Casey Myers was that good, to be up here already. And I think at some point you may see him, you may not. And they've talked about that. They've hinted around it, but the fans who were just yesterday. Immediately pissed off about Tyler Alexander's first uh, first hit. <laughs> Look, Tyler Alexander might not be the long term answer for the rotation. I'm not saying that's the, the proper term or proper way to go about it, but I think the rotation is, which Chris mentioned earlier, I thought it'd be a strength, and it's kind of right now looking like a weakness where the bullpen's looking like a strength, which I thought in a million years I'd never say that. I mean, that's, that's strange, but I would, I would go with the rotation. Yeah, I think I, uh, in our season preview, I think I said the bullpen was a weakness. Uh, but, uh, yeah, not so much. No, I, I think I agree. I mean, that's that's the big issue right now. you got Turnbull, who looks legit. And after that, I mean, they've, they've done fairly well with some of the bullpen starts. But Boyd has been a disaster, and Nova's been pretty bad. I don't think you can – I don't think you can just replace Boyd. I, I think despite him not being good in about a year – there is a bit of a track record there for a guy who can need some innings and be a solid fourth or fifth starter for you. I don't, I don't think you just give up on that right now. Uh, you got to have him figure it out soon. And Nova's going to be, a, you know, a fifth starter for you too. So I do think they probably would, if they really, if making the playoffs was their number one concern, they probably would have Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal up at least and just trying to, you know, maybe they're not going to be the best pitchers. They're going to have their lumps, uh, but it, at the same time, it, would Casey Mines have a worse ERA than Matthew Boyd right now? Probably not. But uh, you just get the best arms up there that you can and go for it. But I think, you know, one of the other issues is now at first base with C.J. Crone possibly out for the rest of the season. But we have another question about that, so we can, we can get to that in a minute. Yeah. Uh, and I guess the minute will be right now. Um, well, Kyle Walney said, with Crone out, what are your thoughts on making a trade for Greg Bird? Also, if they don't trade for Bird, what do you think of moving Stewart or even Lugo to first? Hate to lose Candy's glove at third. Willie could spell guys periodically at second, short, and third. I wrote about Greg Bird today, which he's DFA, but I think there's he's still they can make a trade for him. I think, or I don't know. It was, yeah, I mean, they they would the, the idea being that they would 
make a trade now so that they don't lose them on waivers or you somebody else worse than them would pick them up. But look, I I saw I was looking at Greg Bird's numbers. He can't stay healthy. His numbers power wise have gotten worse. His like his launch angle is sweet uh, percentage in terms of hard hit contact. Sorry, his hard hit contact's gotten worse. You know, there was a, a, guy, a Logan Morgan. Logan Morganson was just released by Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd rather. I mean, that's not gonna be a. That's just a band aid on a on a. Yeah. On a big or on a, it's it's temporarily a band aid at a big levee wall. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's the way I look at Logan Morganson. But no, I I don't think I don't know. I don't, I just don't think he has much to offer. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement. I, I mean, what did Bird had like. 80 solid games in, what, 2017, yeah, 2016? 20, I don't know. 2015. 2015, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, he's kind of made of glass. Uh, he's a guy who, who in his prime, would walk and hit for some power, but didn't do much in terms of average. And, I, and I guarantee you, if he was in New York, we would never heard of him. Yeah, it, if, if, I suppose if they could work out a trade for a player we don't particularly think is ever going to make a, uh, an impact, like a Sergio Alcantara or something like that. But, um yeah, I just don't think it's it's necessarily worth it. As far as Stewart moving to first base, I don't think that's a good idea. I mean, in general, I don't think you want to move outfielders to the infield uh, if they've not played in the infield. And as far as I know, Stewart hasn't played in the infield. I'd feel a lot more comfortable about putting Lugo at first base, uh, even though that's not a desired uh, option either. Because uh, with both of those guys, it's more about the offense. They're they're, they're not going to replace C.J. Crone's homers and walks and, and strikeouts, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I, I think they're probably better off, best off putting Condelario at first, and, and just you know, I know it sucks to lose his. He's a, an above average defender at third, or at least average, but he's probably going to be their best option at first base. And you can, I think, you can get by with Willie Castro had a great, great first game of the season. That's for sure. I don't expect him to go three for four with a homer in every game, but he's a guy who can handle third base and maybe play him. Uh, Against righties and Lugo against lefties and and work it that way. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather see Frank Schindel up here then. But yeah, I mean, they gotta make we would have to make room and they throw if they throw Cron on the uh, on the sixty day or forty five I don't know what it is anymore. Um, then they could theoretically add Schwindel, and that's why you have him in sixty man camp. I think right. It's yeah. I feel uh, bad for Cron. That was such a horrible. I mean, he crumpled so quick and. Then you hear him talk today about just floating around there, and Ugh, I've had knee problems. So yeah, it's just uh, like, was there an existing problem there that it just happened to hit, or did that really like dislodge his? It just dislodged. Jeez, because he, yeah. he's had memories. He had hand issues last yeah. year. What a what a yeah freak thing. But uh, yeah, and the last question we have is from John Lumpkin, I believe. Yeah. Uh, Who would you rather have going forward, Sean Newcomb and Mike Fultonevich, or Matt Boyd and Ivan Nova? Um, <laughs> Crap sandwich, crappier sandwich. Um, yeah. I, honestly, I would rather go with Boyd and Nova because the lefty righty or new is Newcomb. Newcomb's a lefty. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh. But. Um. <laughs> no, I I I I agree with you. I think I would rather have Boyd and Nova because they've actually had uh, some level of success. And with Fultonevich, you've got this severe decline in velocity and with Newcomb he's just never been able to throw enough strikes he's he looks like he could be a solid bullpen piece but I think he was in the bullpen last year and and kind of fell apart there too it's it's 
with, you know, with Boyd Nova, you're going to give up a lot of home runs, but they're also guys who are going to, you know, every now and then give you six, seven innings of, of solid pitching. And I don't think you could count on either of the other two guys to give you that. And I think, I think there's more value in what Boyd Nova can do, even though uh, it's obviously not great right now. Yeah. I, I And you know what? If you're pitching that bad in the National League, can you imagine going to the American League and doing that? Well, hey, the National League's got the DH this year, so it should be an issue, right? It's <laughs> automatic. Their batting average is going to go up. Yeah. But uh, is, that, is that it for the questions? I think that's all the questions I had. Oh, wait, we I did. There were some that came in late. Uh, let's see. Oh, here's a question if you have time. Will I be able to go to a Tiger game this year? That's from our friend from Toledo. The answer to that is almost certainly no, unless... The Tigers make the playoffs, and there's a playoff bubble, and they somehow let fans into that. But uh, I really don't think there's going to be any in-person games this year, given that we've already seen the cancellation of all fall sports in college. So that's that's going to take us through about, what, December? I don't think we're going to baseball games. It may not be until, like, next June or July, honestly. It's a bummer. But, you know, this is just the world we live in now. And then he also asked, uh, how long until Stewart is in Toledo? I I don't think – that will happen. I think that Stewart gets sent down at the end of last year. I feel like he did yeah, briefly. I think, yeah, I feel like that's. No, 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 it was, or was it Candelario? No, no, Candelario. No, it was Candelario did. Was yeah. Candelario, yeah. I feel, I feel like Stewart might be kind of a Brendan Bosch type where they just sink or swim at the major league level for three seasons. If it doesn't work, he gets DFA'd. Uh, because we've seen him in, he spent what, two full seasons in Toledo or at least one full season and one and a half seasons and, and he can hit. In AAA, and and what he needs to learn, he needs to learn at the major league level, and uh, so I don't I don't see him getting sit down. Like I said, if if he goes away, it's probably permanently. So, was that it? Were there any more in here? Uh, looks like that. That's it. I think that is it for the questions this week. So, plenty of content to sort through. Though we have talking Indians, we talk White Sox this evening, and we appreciate you checking us out. We're back next week. Check out also go to our YouTube channel, Tiger Mind Report. And our pitching breakdown of Spencer Trimble. We have another one coming up in the next day or so. And we look forward to seeing the feedback, what you guys think about the, the video aspect. And for now, until then, have a good week, everybody.